Thanks, Mike and Katie, and great to be with you, King's Church, and all you guests who are joining us. Listen, have you ever received an email, and within the email, there's like a, a block of text, uh, maybe a paragraph, and the person who's sending it has highlighted it, or they've underlined it, or put it in capitals, or a different colour, or something. And you know what they mean, don't you? You know that they really, really want you to take particular attention of that paragraph. And as annoying as it might be, you, you probably will, because it's really clear that this is the main thing. And in the text that we're going to be in this morning, in Philippians 1 from verse 27, that's basically what Paul, uh, the writer, the Apostle Paul, writing to the early church in the first century in Philippi, does. He begins this passage by saying, only. And commentators say that a, a kind of lit translation of that is to say, this one thing and only this. This one thing and only this. And then he goes on to say what the one thing is that he would love to see in place should he come and visit them. So Paul is also writing from isolation, you could say. He's under house arrest in, in Rome. Uh, he's in his own uh, isolation situation, and he's desperate to go and see his friends. He's desperate to go and to Philippi to visit the church that he helped to start. And he says to them, should I get out of this and be able to come and see you? Only this. There's one thing that I really, really want to see characterise you. Let me read the passage to you and you see if you can guess what is the one thing and only one thing that Paul wants to see characterise the local church. Chapter 1 and verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So if there is any encouragement in Christ any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Can you guess what is the only thing, what's the one thing that Paul wants to see should he be able to visit this local church? I'll give you one more clue. This week I've been preparing for this, listening to some music on Spotify. I've just got the cheap version and therefore you get the adverts every few songs and one advert keeps on coming up again and again and again and it's a government commercial uh, in advance of, of this weekend basically just describing in 30 seconds the need for us to stay together in observing the government guidelines and it keeps saying together we can overcome coronavirus, together we can support the NHS, together we can do this and of course it's a call to unity. It's a call for our nation to be unified in overcoming this enormous challenge that we face. Now, I don't know what Boris Johnson's going to say this evening, but I imagine whatever tweaks there are to the current guidelines, there will be a call for us to remain unified. Because we all know that a people who are unified are a people able to accomplish great things and a people who are able to overcome tough things. That's the nature and the power of unity. And Paul is calling on the local church, above all else, he says, to be unified, to be unified. And I put it to you that he wants this church, and he wants us as a church, to be unified in purpose, to be unified in relationships, 
and to be unified in enduring. So, first of all, what does it mean to be unified, to have unity of purpose? Verse 27 of chapter 1, Paul says he wants them to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Later on, he says they want them to be striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Purpose. Purpose, to quote Mark Zuckerberg of uh, Facebook fame, is being part of something bigger than yourself. Purpose is being part of something bigger than yourself. We all, he would suggest, yearn for it in some way. And I want to remind us, as a church family, particularly for us who are part of King's Church, I want to remind us of our purpose. Our purpose as a church is not self-fulfillment. Our purpose is not to obtain or preserve a certain comfort of lifestyle. Our purpose, even at the moment, is not ultimately to try and stay healthy and preserve uh, what we have in the midst of crisis and pressure. That's not the primary purpose for which we as King's Church exist. Our primary purpose, Paul tells us, is to strive for the faith of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. In other words, our primary purpose, church, is to help more people find faith in Jesus and to help people grow in faith in Jesus. That's why we often say as a church that we exist to know God and to make God known. That's our primary purpose. And we're called to be united in that primary shared purpose. And Paul knows, what I think we all know, is that when a local church is united in that singular purpose, filled with the Spirit, it can see great things take place. Being unified in purpose means you can, you can, you can do far more than you can on your own. Let me give you just, just one example. Uh, my little girl uh, is getting really into horses. She loves looking at horses, talking about horses. And so we were doing that on, a, on my laptop this week. And we came across a horse called the Belgian Draft Horse. Huge, great thing. You can see uh, a picture of it here. Really, really impressive beasts. And for hundreds of years throughout history, Belgian Draft Horses have been used particularly to pull or carry very, very heavy loads in agriculture. And today, more often in kind of uh, agricultural fairs and so on. And you take one of these, um, one of these fantastic horses, a, a guy or a girl, a Belgian draft horse, and they can pull up to about eight thousand pounds of weight. This is about the weight of three average cars. Pretty impressive. Now you take two and you put them together and you you buckle them up together and essentially you cause them to be unified in the purpose of carrying this weight forward. And something interesting happens. You'd think they would be able to carry twice the weight, two, not one. Sixteen thousand pounds, not eight thousand pounds. But remarkably, such is their unity that two Belgian draft horses can actually pull 24,000 pounds, three times, not twice, the original weight. Such is the power of unity in a common purpose. So, again, this is kind of for us as a church. What does that mean? What does it mean for you? Are you what is the purpose for which you're pulling in the life of the church? Are you unified in the purpose of helping more people to find faith in Jesus and helping people to grow in faith in Jesus? In other words, are you both feet in, in that singular purpose for which the church is here to do? I, I really loved our, our prayer meeting. Just one example. I, I loved our prayer meeting on, on Sunday evening. Zoom prayer meeting, little breakout rooms, uh, kind of 
meeting up again, people we hadn't seen, at least virtually, uh, and just striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, praying into things like, like Alpha and future engagement in the community and so on and so forth, seeking to see God's kingdom come through the gift of prayer that he's given. It was really, really kind of exciting to be able to do that, even though it's different in a, on a Zoom context. But my question is, if, if you weren't there and you count yourself as, as both fit in the life of the church, why not? Seriously, why, why not? It's, a, it's, it's such a key part of what we do. If we are united in purpose, then I put it to you that we'll gather in prayer to pray into being that purpose. We've been called to pray this year, and prayer is the means by which the purpose of God's to see people grow in faith and come to faith in Jesus is achieved. That's part of what it means to be both in, to be striving side by side towards the same, towards the same end. The second type of unity that Paul wants to see in the life of the local church is unity in relationships. He says in uh, chapter 2 and verse 2, complete my joy by being of the same mind, I guess that's purpose, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So that's the same purpose, but it's also having the same love. Love for God, love for each other, being in full accord with each other. He wants them to be unified relationally, to be side by side. Paul longs to see a church that is a united family. Loving, sharing, hosting, even virtually preferring each other, going out of our way to, to love and serve <clears throat> each other. He doesn't want us to simply be, as it were, I guess, workhorses just striving to a common goal. He wants us to be unified in, in love for each other, affection for each other, united relationally. Think about that, that thrilling picture of a church family that we see in Acts chapter 2 from verse 42. And one of the things that we're told in that very short but, but kind of thrilling picture of what church life could be like is that those early disciples were devoted to the fellowship, to friendship. That they were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So again, what does that look like for you, for us? What does it mean to be unified in relationships? Listen, we're, we're, we're a family and like any other family, we're messy. And messy families mean that we've got to constantly be checking in with each other. There's often times for, for forgiveness, for working things through, for starting afresh. That's what healthy families do. Healthy families are not, not messy. They're just able to work it through when the mess comes through. Maybe that's something for you to apply this week. What about sharing our possessions? At a time at which it's tempted to, tempting to withdraw and keep what we have. What about giving away? in radical generosity, being unified in relationships. Maybe we need to just take time to get to know people in the church for the first time or, or just for a fresh time. Maybe we need to, to not write some people off because they're just not like us. Let's take time together after this morning's service. If we can, even with kind of different family, let's take time together to hang out together in these different breakout rooms and just catch up and be unified relationally. It's so important. You know, if you're kind of new to King's Church, I mean, you might expect me to say this, but this is my honest opinion. This is, I'll put it to you that King's Church is a, is a pretty unified, loving, gracious family to be part of. I really would commend it to you. And I want to commend you as a church for that. But there's always more for us. And this is a time of unique pressure. And therefore, I think this is a timely passage that calls upon us 
to not only be unified in purpose, but to be unified relationally, to strive to that end, to bind us together in love for each other and love for God. What does that mean for you today and for this week? And Paul knows that where a local church is unified in purpose and is unified relationally, where it's that, 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 he knows the purpose of contending for the faith of the gospel will be more fruitful if the two happen together. Let me go back to those Belgian draft horses again. Remember, one of these impressive beasts can pull 8,000, two come together and can actually pull three times as much, 24,000. However, if you get two that aren't strangers, the two strangers can still pull 24,000, but you get two Belgian draft horses together that have known each other. Maybe they've grown up together. Maybe they're brother and sister. Maybe they've uh, played together. Maybe they've eaten together, grown up together. They're really, really familiar with each other. You put those two together, and apparently not only can they pull three times as much, they actually can pull four times as much, 32,000 pounds worth of weight can be pulled by two horses that really know each other relationally fascinating that unity of relationship in harmony in harmony with unity of purpose can really make things more effective we say that again unity of relationship in harmony with unity of purpose makes things so much more effective and this is the third point this morning that Paul wants to make, is it also makes it much more possible to be unified in endurance, to be unified in endurance. You see, part of the reason that Paul is urging this local church in Philippi in the first century to be united in purpose and relationships is so that, and I'm referring here to chapter 1 verse 28, they are not frightened in anything by your opponents. Verse 29, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, yea, but also suffer for his sake, hmm. engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. In other words, external criticism. Paul is saying a church that is united internally is able to withstand criticism externally. Now we need just a little bit of perspective here, don't we? Like there are Christians all around the world who, like Paul, uh, endure genuine persecution, imprisonment, threats to and even the taking of life and possessions because of their commitment to the Christian faith. That is not our experience, so we just need to get some perspective there. Like a bit of disapproval from somebody at work or an unpleasant comment on Twitter or just not being invited to something, that, that's, that's not what we're talking about here. And neither are we talking about criticism that is frankly justified of the church or of Christians when they've just been stupid or worse. However, it's, I think it's true to say, nonetheless, there is hostility towards Christians or Christianity at the moment in our nation, in certain parts of the media or in politics or in society, particularly where Christians want to hold to, a, to an, an orthodox, traditional, centuries-old teaching of the Bible. There's a, an increasing suggestion that that kind of thing needs to be kept at best private, and at worst is deeply unpalatable. So the question is, from what Paul is saying, how does the church respond to that kind of criticism? Well, firstly, Paul says in verse 28, we've no need to fear. We've no need to fear. A church that's united in purpose and is united relationally is secure. Secure in ultimately in the arms of a loving God and secure in the arms of each other. 
Secondly, actually, United Church can be confident. Confident that it will actually make the gospel known to a world that is critical of that same gospel. Paul says challenging things. He says that actually a united church will cause people that don't believe and are critical to become aware of their destruction. In other words, that's the stark news that all of us outside of the grace of God are headed towards perishing. We're all in ourselves natural rebels of God, all of us. But that the gift of salvation is available through Jesus to all of us, to anyone who would believe. Paul says a united church will present like both this stark and glorious reality to its critics who don't currently believe. That's a reason to be confident. In case you're in any doubt, Jesus puts it like this in John chapter 17 and verse 20. Jesus is praying to the Father. It's an amazing prayer to listen into. And he prays this. I do not ask for these only, the disciples in front of him, but I ask also for those who will believe in me through their word, that's you and I, that they may all be one, united, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. It's an amazing prayer. Jesus is praying that the local church will be as united as Father, Son and Spirit are and in doing so will cause potentially even a hostile world, to believe in Jesus. That's a reason to be confident. Humble, because it's not about us. Confident, because Jesus has promised it. Now, let's be honest with each other. None of this is easy. If you think, oh, I can do this, united in purpose, relationship, enduring criticism, yeah. If you're thinking that, at best, you've not been listening. Think about it. Uniting around a common purpose that is not our own self-interest is not easy. Striving to be unified in relationships with each other, bearing with each other, forgiving each other, investing in relationships, even when it's not convenient to us, is not easy. And enduring criticism or hostility, of course, is not easy. I don't know about you, but I, I can't do that on my own. I, I, I want the purpose to be about me. If I'm honest, often it, I, I want relationships that are convenient and that kind of work for me. And I don't enjoy being criticised. So what's the answer? Well, there's good news here. Yeah, there's good news here because yes, Paul is exhorting us to be something, a church. I hope you got it by now, unified in purpose, relationships, and endurance. But he's also giving us the means by which that can happen. And we've only had we've had four messages so far in this series. We've only covered 32 verses. In, in, this, in this letter to the Philippians. And in those 32 verses so far, chapter 2 and verse 2, Paul has mentioned Jesus not once, not twice, not three times, but 17 times. He talks about being servants of Christ. He talks about uh, being saints in Christ, growing in affection for Christ. He talks about proclaiming Christ. He talks about being transformed through Christ. For Paul, everything is about Jesus and everything happens through and because of Jesus. Of course we can't be a church fully united in purpose, relationships and endurance on our own. Of course we can't, because we're frail and fallible and stumble and get it wrong. So we look to Jesus. I think about how those things, just for a moment, think about how those things all come together beautifully in Jesus, in God, in the gospel. You've got Jesus Christ, who within the Godhead, the Trinity, is perfectly unified in relationship. 
and is perfectly unified in the purpose of bringing us into that same loving relationship. And how does he do that? How does he make that possible? Because Jesus Christ endured. Because Jesus Christ steadfastly endured the agony of the cross for the joy of reuniting you and I with God. It's possible in Jesus because Jesus has done these things and promises to carry on doing these things. That's, that's the glorious message that the church has to bring. We have a saviour who's come to endure even the cross. Such was the commitment to his purpose of reuniting broken, fallible, fragile rebels like you and me into, into the family of God. That's a glorious message to bring of hope. And it's a message that the church can bring when it's united, when the local church is united, when the national church is united. We've got a glorious, beautiful message of hope to bring, especially at this time. A message that gives a message that means you can have hope, whatever the crisis is, whatever the pressure at the moment is. You can step into a, a relationship of love and affection that cannot die, that cannot fade, that can only endure. You can have a hope that can even endure beyond the grave into eternal life. Church, we have an amazing message to bring. And King's Church, when we're united in purpose, relationship and endurance, we can sing through our deeds and our words this glorious message. And when the national church in the UK is united, then it can really sing this amazing message. Yeah, the message is stark. We're all headed towards destruction. But the message is also beautiful that God is for us. Yes, that's our destination, but God is for us and he shines his grace upon us and his face upon us and his love upon us. And he calls to us to come away from that destination to step into salvation and to know hope and love forever. And we're just going to close in these moments by allowing the National Church to sing that same message over us. It's a beautiful song that's just been recorded by loads and loads of, uh, Christ uh, of Christian movements and churches who've come together and let's enjoy a song called The Blessing. And if any time through it, if you're not yet a Christian and you want to respond to God singing his grace and favour over you, just click on the salvation button and someone can talk to you about exactly how that works. Bless you guys. Let's enjoy this beautiful song together.